0: Must be 21 years or older to enjoy. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate responsibly.
1: Introducing Guinness Nitro Cold Brew Coffee Beer. Blending the smooth, creamy nitro taste of Guinness with hints of coffee, chocolate, and caramel. Guinness Nitro Cold Brew Coffee Beer, your new favorite part of the day. Look for it where Guinness is sold. Must be 21 and over to purchase. Please enjoy responsibly. Diageo Beer Company, New York, New York.
2: From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox Talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more, this is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson.
0: Thanks, Rob, and welcome to the Sox Machine Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, and it's the week of August 31st, 2020. This past weekend was a bit frustrating, but yet a successful one for the White Sox. They won another series against Kansas City, but the Royals did not make it easy on the Sox. Both wins required walk-off home runs from Yasmani Grandal and Luis Robert. That's the first time the White Sox have done that in a weekend since 2010. And while the White Sox were stressing, they kept getting good news elsewhere. The Minnesota Twins were swept by the Detroit Tigers. Yes, the Detroit Tigers swept the Twins as the Twins have now lost five straight games. Cleveland had their hands full with St. Louis. And when you add it all up, the White Sox are 21 and 13 and tied for the American League Central lead with Cleveland entering this week. So how do the White Sox chances look to win the American League Central and make some noise in the postseason? Our best friend of the show, Dan Zaborski of Fangraphs.com, will be joining us to answer that question and share what he likes from watching the White Sox. We'll preview the critical series in Minneapolis this week later in the show and answer a few of your questions in PO Sox. But with the White Sox now tied for the American League Central lead, the trade deadline is looming large. It is on Monday, August 31st at 3 p.m. Central Time. Will the White Sox make a move before the deadline to improve their odds of winning the Central, not only in 2020, but in 2021? Well, joining me is the managing editor of SoxMachine.com and the co-host of the podcast. It's Jim Margulis. And hello, Jim. This is an odd feeling. Instead of talking about which players the White Sox could move to acquire new prospects, we are now discussing which prospects the White Sox should leverage to find help. And I have to admit, this is more fun to think about than selling off.
3: Sure is. It's nice to be able to, you know, just enjoy what you have rather than, um, you know, worrying about trade values and worrying about which, you know, which players to package and, uh, you know, selling off the productive players you're enjoying right now that are contributing to games that are watchable in order to get some uh, future talent that may or may not pan out. So yeah, this is uh, this is very welcome, and I hope it doesn't go anywhere anytime soon.
0: And the reason why we're talking about as far as the trades, and I, I put up this Twitter poll. Which again, you can follow us on Twitter. We're at Sox Machine. You can follow me on Twitter at Sox Machine underscore Josh. And for all the new people that are following us and just discover the show. Hello. At 21 and 13, tied for the American League Central lead, I asked our Twitter followers this question, Jim. Do the White Sox have to make a trade before the deadline on Monday, and the key word is have to make, or have. Have is the key word. The phrase would be have to make. Have is the key word here, Jim. So I pose that question to you. Do you think the White Sox have to make a trade before the deadline?
3: I don't think they have to, not because they wouldn't benefit from it, but just because this is a weird year with all sorts of injuries and roster shortcomings and no rehab stints. So every team probably... Unless it's maybe the Dodgers, (laughs) maybe, maybe feeling like they're scrambling all the time.
0: I think I'm in the yes category. And the reason I'm in the yes category is again, we, we talked about this on Sox Machine Live and we talked about this last Monday, look around the American league and there's a lot of flawed teams right now. The Toronto Blue Jays have almost caught the Yankees in the standings. The Toronto Blue Jays are just one game behind the New York Yankees. That's the difference right now between the 5th and 8th seed. So yes, we're talking about the Yankees now feeling heat behind them with the Blue Jays while the Rays are starting to distance themselves in the American League East. And right now the Rays would be the number 1 seed uh, in the American League. Uh, Oakland had a really tough series in Houston. Houston has closed the gap in the West. They are just 2.5 games behind the Athletics. And again, the White Sox and the Indians are tied right now in the American League Central lead. So Cleveland has the head-to-head advantage. So Cleveland would be the number three seed, but the White Sox right now uh, would be the number four seed hosting that series, well, hosting in quotation marks. It sounds like baseball is going to have the American League postseason bubble in Los Angeles and San Diego. The White Sox would be the quote-unquote home team in that bubble series uh, against the New York Yankees right now. Unless the Blue Jays catch them and pass them, then it's the Blue Jays as the five seed and the world is upside down. Because of the world is upside down, Jim, and the White Sox, let's, they, they have gaps right now on the pitching side. I say that there are options right now out there and we've talked about Lynn and we've talked about this, especially for our Patreon supporters in last week's Patreon P.O. Sox. I think there are opportunities where the White Sox can add players that help them in 2020, but also help them in 2021 because they have an extra year of control. And I do think the White Sox have to make one of those moves to not only help them in 2020, uh, but give themselves a head start in the offseason for the 2021 season, especially if Jerry Reinsdorf decides that, Rick, you can't spend as much money as he did last offseason because I lost a lot of profit. Mm-hmm. But that's kind of where I'm at right now, as far as my head, that I am in the yes category. I think the White Sox have to make a move before the deadline.
3: Yeah, I'm just looking at the standings right now, and you know, Toronto is 18 and 14, and then like two games behind them in the ninth spot, first one on the uh, on the wrong side of the bubble is the Detroit Tigers at 16 and 16 then nobody so it's really just like a nine team league the the Orioles are fading uh the Mariners are selling you know just and then the you know, the Royals are probably maybe the most competitive of the bunch but they just can't close out close games they've they've been on a lot of a, a wrong side of a lot of uh a, a tight games so it seems like you know Detroit's maybe the one you have to worry about and even then they were five games under 500 um you know last week so you know, nobody in this you know league, I guess, feels like they're going to jeopardize the White Sox postseason spot. As weird as that sounds, and with it being a postseason bubble, you're not not really home field advantage, not really being a thing. I don't know if there's an, any advantage to seeding this year, um, aside from maybe you know, avoiding some of the more top-heavy pitching staffs that might have a good one through three that you feel good about rolling out. So, you know, this year for this, you know, 2020 season only, it feels like the White Sox are pretty good with what they have. I think there's a more compelling argument, like you mentioned, with like a Lance Lynn type, where 2021, there's also some benefits to adding a player for that year as well. Especially like, say, if it's a a player on a reasonable contract, like Lynn is, like uh, Dylan Bundy would be uh, if he's uh, in his final year of arbitration, shouldn't be that much. Uh, so yeah, there are some opportunities for next year, but I think for this year's team, uh, I would say they don't have to, it's just going to be a little bit frustrating, especially I would say as, you know, like you get past the Giolito and Keuchel starts and the other three starting, maybe Dane Dunning. So you can't say anything bad about Dunning so far, but just, you know, not trying to put too many or too high of expectations on him. But yeah, the bullpen right now is looking a little Mm -hmm. bit samey, I think. Uh, and that's a little bit of a problem. And, uh, yeah. So I, I think that's going to be the tough spot is like trying to figure out the the starts that were like uh, earmarked for Lopez and then trying to get through like the sixth and seventh innings on a regular basis.
0: Yeah. And those are the areas or the gaps. Let's call them out that the White Sox currently have. They could use some help in the bullpen. And man, it would be nice to know the clarity on the Aaron Bummer situation. Like it sounds like he's playing catch at Schaumburg. But this bullpen is really missing Aaron Bomber, Jim.
3: Yeah. And, and when it's, you know, a biceps injury that's often tied to shoulder issues, like I remember when John Dinks had his shoulder cleaned out, they did some biceps uh, debridement. And then with uh, Rodon, he had the shoulder issue and they specified that it wasn't, uh, uh, you know, uh, that there was nothing wrong with the biceps. But just it's always whenever you hear a biceps injury for a pitcher, it's usually uh, with the shoulder involved, just like the forearm is usually indicative of some kind of elbow issue. So that's why I'm concerned, like, it's not going to be going away in time soon, even if it comes back. Like we're seeing with Lopez, Lopez is missing a couple miles per hour, um, you know, after he came back from the shoulder injury. So I'm really not, I think, you know, the way the White Sox go about the season, the rest of it is thinking, like, whatever Aaron Bummer can contribute in anything resembling, like, high leverage situation is more or less a bonus at this point.
0: But that's kind of the gap. Right They're missing that bridge guy from Evan Marshall to Alex Collinman. yeah, and we saw it against the Royals in the final game. They tried Steve Sheck, but man, the the Cubs broke him. <laughs> they just the overuse of Joe Madden, uh his usage uh, of Steve Seacheck is just it's not the same pitcher, and he hasn't had the same type of successful results with the White Sox like he did with the Cubs. They tried Zach Birdie. That was a disaster. I don't think he's ready for that type of situation. And one would think maybe Matt Foster or Cody Hoyer would be suitable in that spot. But the, the White Sox really haven't tried him out as far as in that bridge situation between Marshall uh, and Calumet. They They are the ones that seems like are starting the bridge from the starting. They're the first guys to come out of the bullpen and then get it to Marshall and then Try to get the ball to Kalame with the lead in the ninth inning, or if the game is tied, he can he can keep it tied going to extra innings because Kalame has pitched really well for the White Sox this year. Mm-hmm. So that's one gap. It would be nice if the White Sox could find another reliever. Now Carlos Rodon is supposed to be throwing sixty pitches, three innings in simulated action in Schaumburg. Maybe Carlos Rodon is that guy, but he's never really ha- he doesn't have a lot of experience in this role. Uh, and I'm not even sure if he's gonna be enthusiastic to take on a role like that. Uh so I guess we'll see on how the White Sox want to use him, but that's one gap that I think that Rick Hahn can address. Mm-hmm. And the other is they I think if you want the White Sox to be serious about this postseason, more than just making the postseason, because the calculus has changed they're in a really good spot to break the postseason drought. They're in a terrific spot to break the losing season streak. Uh now you want them now you want to be greedy and say, forget as far as the short season and the bubble and the uncertainty. Try to win the damn thing. If if you are in that kind of attitude right now about the White Sox, the White Sox need another starting pitcher because right now, if you go into the postseason, it's clear that it's going to be Gilito Keichel. And do you trust Dylan Cease to start a
3: game three in that first round? If it does come to game three, I would say for, you know, I think the, the remainder of the season, like basically September will tell us how much they can count on Dylan Cease. So I wouldn't say that yet. I would say right now, no, or at least start him. you know, but be prepared to yank him like after three innings or, or you know, have a short start. Um, but yeah, I think if, if Renteria can get on board with some kind of either opener or alternate alternate starter arrangement, you know, it doesn't have to be pure opener, but it can be like the piggyback, like the, for one glorious start, Lopez and Gio Gonzalez did before Gonzalez went on the IL. But that's why I would like to see more experimentation with the fifth spot, just so in case they do get to the postseason and Cease doesn't look reliable they have a plan that can involve Cease without exposing him to his weaknesses. Like, you know, I think when you get to the third starter, you know, three, four innings is fine. Like one to two turns through the uh, lineup, depending on how easy the first turn is, is uh, is plenty. Especially if you can have Giolito and Keiko going early. But, you know, if they don't go <laughs> great early, then it's all hands on deck anyway. And you're going, you know, basically a start is an inning by inning proposition anyway. So I, I think... Uh, Yeah, it would be nice for them to add a starter just in case, um, you know, Giolito, Keuchel, or Cease, you know, get hurt. Because I think even if Cease is frustrating right now, he still serves a purpose by taking the ball every fifth day. I think they're even short on guys who can do that. And
0: that's a great point, Jim. Yeah, right now where the White Sox stand, with Cease, you can count on him to take the ball and throw 90 to 100 pitches. I don't know what kind of results you're going to get, out of that 90 to a hundred pitches because he's been inconsistent, but he'll take the ball. He is healthy and strong enough. Now, if you want to trade for Lance Lynn, because it is hot and heavy on the trade rumors, uh, when it comes to Lance Lynn, you got San Diego, you got New York, you got Atlanta showing interest. Maybe the Toronto Blue Jays are showing interest in Lance Lynn. That's heavy competition. And I know we brought this up for our Patreon supporters where I brought up Last week, uh, we, let's call it my love gem of the idea of the White Sox acquiring Lance Lynn and try to figure out a package that could possibly beat out like the Atlanta Braves uh, to acquire Lance Lynn. But that's kind of where I see if the White Sox had Lance Lynn, who is got a crazy amount of games in a row where he's a 100 plus pitches that kind of demonstrates his durability and as far as strength on a duration aspect, but he's also producing really good results as well uh, for the Texas Rangers, that if you slot him in as that third starting pitcher, well, now you got Giolito, Keiko, and Lynn, and you really have to like the White Sox's chances now of winning the American League Central and making some serious noise in the postseason with those three, where they stand now with Giolito, Keiko, and Cease. I feel like you feel really good for two days, and then you're biting your fingernails for the next three.
3: Yeah. Oh, you know the thing that kind of uh, gives me some pause about this is you know looking at the Tampa Bay Rays depth chart. Uh, when you look at their you know forty man roster, you toggle through it. When you look look at the actual depth chart, uh, the number of starting pitchers they have on their depth chart is three. The rest are relievers. Hmm and they have the best record in the AL. <laughs> so that's that's I think what uh um you know what 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 uh I guess irritates me most about just Renteria's aversion. I think maybe maybe Don Cooper you, know, you don't hear Rick Hahn really pressing it. So I think maybe just the White Sox organization as a whole but like their just unwillingness to really uh throw themselves into at least devoting one of the rotation spots to this kind of thing is just when emergency strikes like this they feel like they you know their hands are tied. Whereas the Rays never feel like their hands are tied. And just, they have the, that uh, next man up mentality, which I think is more, I think, you know, there's next man up. We've seen a lot with the bulls, for instance, when uh, uh, you know Tom Thibodeau is there and just, you know, there is value to that because it's a competitive environment. Everybody's there for a reason, whether they're, you know, projected to do well or not. You know, they, you want them to think that they can do well. So there is use in that kind of mentality and psychology, but I think there is some, limitations to it when you keep throwing them to the same roster spots that they're not qualified for. I think that's what's different about the Rays is that, you know, they have a next man up mentality, but they also don't ask too much from any of these next men up. It's basically like, hey, can you handle two innings? Great, we'll figure out the rest. Just just do that. You might be sent down to the alternate training site afterwards to make room for another guy, but you'll be back. You know, you'll be in our plans. And that's just the flexibility that the White Sox really don't have and they don't really entertain. And that's, I think, what would be nice just when they have this kind of roster issue and and trouble filling out a rotation and uh, some promising bullpen arms that can't quite align, Uh, this would be the time where it'd be nice just for them to be able to step back, say, all right, um, this is an experimental season anyway. We have guys we weren't counting on already in spots. Let's try to uh, mix and match and see what we can do, Uh, knowing that if it doesn't work out, we'll have everything uh, in the world telling us that uh, or justifying it for us.
0: And that makes sense, Jim, but do you trust the White Sox to now start that experiment after they've already played
3: 34 games of the season? I mean, I don't, but it's also like not an excuse. Yeah, like I think there are, there are two ways to look at it. Yeah, I think you have the approach where it's like they don't really have an excuse not to add. And I would say they don't really have an excuse not to experiment. And I, and I think, you know, probably the ideal thing is they do both. <laughs> they had a pitcher, and they also experiment with that fifth spot, and so we're both happy. But, uh, you know, just the thing with these rosters right now and the injuries that pop up, and, uh, you know, and I, I think that's my one reservation, too, about going all in on a pitcher um, is is that this is the season for weird pitcher injuries and no rehab since no ways to get them back on track. So I just, I'm hesitant to put too much uh of the white Sox resources that they might be able to use somewhere down the line into a pitcher where it's just like this isn't the greatest environment to feel like it's a stable asset so that's why i'm a little bit reluctant but yeah i, I think uh, i would like to see both It's like some form of addition just some kind of fresh arm who isn't like drew anderson uh if they have to resort to him but also just like not having to touch their you know essential pieces that they're counting on to build rosters around like next year because i think uh you, know, as you mentioned, they they are going to be a little bit probably either cash strapped or crying poor, and if you can't count them, to do that. I think, uh, and and that's a Reinsdorf ownership level thing. I think there are things you can do below the ownership level to help uh, protect themselves a little bit.
0: Yeah. The more we talk about this, I might be Lance Lynn or bust. Yeah. Because with like Dylan Bundy, and he's on my you know list here as far as rundown because on the way that everything's being developed and it's really hard to follow the trade rumors right now on Twitter from the national writers, but it starts with Mike Clevenger and we haven't talked about Mike Clevenger yet. Supposedly the white Sox have interest in Mike Clevenger. Guess what? Every team in baseball should have interest in Mike Clevenger, but it seems like that relationship between the Cleveland Indians and Mike Clevenger is now toast after what happened in Chicago and the fact that he got pretty much, op- yeah, he got optioned to the minor league camp. Uh, and I think they recently called him up. And now it sounds like it's almost for certain that Mike Clevenger is getting traded out of Cleveland. So Clevenger falls in the footsteps of Trevor Bauer and Corey Kluber in the last calendar year uh, of being shipped out of Cleveland. And that seems crazy, but that seems to be like the top target right now as far as the trade market. Would you agree based on what we are seeing from the tea leaves that a lot of teams are really coveting Mike Clevenger at the moment.
3: Yeah. Based on what I can tell, there is the mystery team thing, which is just uh, drives me nuts. (laughs) Yeah. Whatever. It's like, it's such lazy reporting to say like mystery team, like if you can't figure it out, don't say it. Like you can't say that for anything else, really in any kind of form of journalism. (laughs) If you don't, if you can't validate, it's one thing to have an anonymous source or whatever, or just, you know, uh, uh, something you can't disclose but if you don't know it you don't usually say there's something out there maybe that isn't possibly there and will never be revealed even if uh it turns out that one of the known bidders wins so it just drives me nuts but yeah seems like yeah the clevenger thing is a unique you know his availability is born of unique circumstances that he doesn't seem like a a, a bad guy or at least he doesn't have a history of being um you know a um i'm trying to think of the word i'm looking for um Just a a harmful uh, clubhouse presence that uh, drags teams down. I think he was uh, seen as a good teammate before this happened, but the Indians having the conditions that they have in their clubhouse that it just really rubbed them the wrong way. But, yeah, I think with Clevenger, uh, I think we both kind of came upon this conclusion on Twitter is that – you know, if they trade Michael Kopech for Clevenger, that's just doing them a big favor. It's <laughs> like, oh, here, yep. here's a, um, you're, you're turning in a phone with a dying battery to get a better phone with a bigger battery. Like, great. Yeah, and Cleveland's gonna
0: take that dead phone or what you thought was a dead phone, refurbish it, and sell it and market level and turn him into the all star that we all thought Michael Kopech would be with the Chicago. There would be, there would be no doubt in my mind if Cleveland got a hold of Michael Kopech, Jim. That Kopech would be a star.
3: Yeah, I mean he could be a star with the White Sox too. But yeah, just it's uh, oh yeah, just, absolutely. It's just a huge favor for somebody who, uh, you know, especially Clevenger missing some time and so forth. You don't know exactly what kind of shape he's going to be in, especially since Chicago is what got him in trouble. <laughs> very true. Uh, very very true. So I I'm not buying the White
0: Sox. I mean the White Sox may have picked up the phone and called Cleveland to see what it would take. But I, I don't consider the White Sox serious suitors for Mike Clevenger.
3: Would you agree? Well, yeah, I don't think so. It doesn't make sense from either side, really. And uh, especially since the Indians should be able to do just as well going out of the division. Also, I, I wonder if Rick Hahn called him to see what the Indians were looking to get to potentially think about what the division might look like in September. Like, are you looking to add a major league outfielder? Are you looking to add... uh? A, you know, a pitcher that you can add right now. <laughs> Maybe that's what he's planning for. Who knows? Kind of spying. I mean, that's smart. I, I think that's that's a,
0: that's a really smart play if the White Sox did do that to kind of see what Cleveland wants to get in. And, you know, with Cleveland, who knows what direction this franchise is going in the offseason. Francisco Lindor will be entering his final year of his contract. So we'll, I don't even know what kind of team Cleveland's going to be next year. Uh, that's, that's kind of what's so... So interesting right now, as far as where we are in the standings with the White Sox and and the Indians tied for the lead, because it just feels like for the Indians, this should be their last hurrah. And instead, they're trying to sell off a starting pitcher, uh, and I'm sure they're aiming to get outfield help, because they desperately need more bats in that lineup, because the offense is not good outside of Cesar Hernandez, Francisco Lindor, Jose Ramirez, and Carlos Santana. And Santana's just really walking at this stage, not really hitting much. They're struggling, Cleveland is, and they need more offensive help. And if they could take one of their six starting pitchers that they've got uh and leverage it into better bats then i that that move makes sense but i don't see the white Sox as being a serious suitor the one
3: the one thing i wonder you mentioned the um you know the, what the indians are doing trying to sell potentially from a team that's in first place and i wonder with the you know the games being fanless potentially in a bubble uh for the postseason and such i wonder what the Yeah, I think when it comes to the pennants and World Series titles like Flags Fly Forever, yes. But when it comes to teams' incentives for going for it this, um, you know, going for it this year, there aren't the normal financial incentives like the postseason revenue, um, you know, the the, the TV revenue, or uh, TV revenue will be there, but just like the the massive postseason push, the season ticket sales that might come after... uh, the the merch the parades won't are going to be happening like it's going to be a weird um when it like the white Sox trying to add and and, and trying to make it to the the postseason and maybe going all in for this year usually you know there's the idea of winning the idea of uh you know getting to the postseason uh you know all the competitive stuff that it factors in but there's also the financial incentive behind it where People in the city get more excited about the team. TV ratings go up. Ticket sales go up during the season. Postseason tickets are a thing. And then you get into the next year with people buying season tickets and and putting tickets down for next year. And just the the financial incentive grows. I wonder if there's any of that financial incentive this year or the lack of it is maybe causing teams to maybe not be as aggressive.
0: Well, that's not happening in San Diego.
3: (laughs) The, the, The Padres... I mean, this is
0: crazy town banana pants with what they're doing. They are pretty much having a hockey line change at catcher where they've acquired Austin Nola from Seattle now and Jason Castro from the Angels. So that will be their new catching duo. So halfway through the season, they're adding new catchers into the mix to, to work with their starting pitchers. They acquired Mitch Moreland. Uh, to be like help out at first base and DH to add more left-handed power. Uh, They acquired Trevor Rosenthal from Kansas City to help shape up as far as their bullpen because they lost Kirby Yates, uh, their all-star closer. And it sounds like, again, going back to Mike Clevenger, that San Diego is one of the leaders in the clubhouse to acquire Mike Clevenger. They are going, going all in at this trade deadline. And if they get Mike Clevenger, this has got to be one of the most active periods for a single team that I can remember in recent years, Jim, to make five trades the weekend before the trade deadline. And you know what? I can't blame the Padres. They are playing just as well as the Chicago White Sox are. But the difference between the White Sox and the Padres is the Dodgers. San Diego has to make these moves if they want to be considered serious challengers to the Los Angeles Dodgers and trying to win the national league pennant in 2020. So I can't blame AJ Preller and the front office of the San Diego Padres just making these deals one after another. And they're still trying to, you know, land a big fish in Mike Clevenger before the trade deadline comes. Now it sounds like if San Diego doesn't get Clevenger, the, the number two starting pitcher on the market back to Lance Lynn, whoever doesn't get Clevenger sounds like they're going to just turn around and try to acquire Lance Lynn. And this is where going back to me being Lance Lynn or Bust, Jim, this is where I'm a bit uncertain from a white Sox perspective, because if they can't get Lance Lynn, who's really cheap in 2021, I think he's only owed $8 million Mm -hmm. for 2021 for the quality of pitcher that Lance Lynn is. That is a steal and right in the White Sox wheelhouse when it comes to payroll. But you're going to have to give up someone now that it hurts because the teams involved, like you got Atlanta, New York sounds like they've been knocking on the door from Mike Clevenger. New York has experience with Lance Lynn. They've already traded for him once back in 2018. When you got the Yankees, the Braves, and the Padres that you have to outbid for, this is where you're, I mean... I think it's crazy. But it may have to require a movie Michael Kopeck if you really want Lance Lynn to be on the White Sox just because you're gonna have to outbid three other teams to get him. Hmm.
4: hmm.
0: And I don't know if I feel comfortable with that, Jim. And Rickon has mentioned that in the past, you right? Know. Where it hurts both yeah. sides.
3: Unless there's just like a, uh, a, a, like the White Sox have a crazy amount of depth to where, uh, you know, one of those guys isn't going to play anyway, and then it doesn't hurt so much. But yeah, this is the case where he might be on the upper edge of that scale. Like I mentioned, Nick Magical before, I think he would be on maybe the mid-range of that scale, like it just as uh, Magical uh, against the Royals kind of showed exactly how big of a pest he's going to be or plans to be. Yeah, played good defense at second base, hit those singles. Impossible singles in one case. That uh, Brady Singer pitch he hit uh, that was like aiming for his face. Uh, that was pretty awesome. So yeah, Magical had the kind of series that showed like, okay, this is what you have. Uh, really cool to have in the nine spot. Uh, but yeah, just also somebody you can probably do as well as in different forms or better than so yeah, just I think uh Kopek is on the higher range of that. It's just he's had so much personal drama it's hard to tell. And, and that was that was a feature too of his Red Sox days in a different form, but <laughs> when you have uh you know multiple instances, it is fair to just say like, yeah, can we uh you know like will this flare up again in the future somehow and in in a third uh, way of doing so.
0: Now the rumors are the Texas Rangers are making Joey Gallo available. So if you really want to pull off a trade, a <laughs> Joey Gallo, Lance Lynn, and then empty out kind of your farm system. Like, I don't know, would Texas take Nomar Mazara back? Uh
3: just, yeah, Gallo's hitting 188 though. That just that's too low for me. <laughs> that's Adam Dunn low. He is Adam Dunn. He's a more he's a more athletic version yeah. of Adam Dunn. Well he's like prime Adam Dunn, because Adam Dunn was actually pretty athletic in his Reds days, but terrible fielder, but athletic. Like he could run the bases pretty well. Right. But uh yeah, just it's one of those uh, where uh I can just see the headlines where the White Sox picked up Gallo. And you know, you'd have a sports radio caller saying, yeah, they picked up a one eight hitter, and then he hits like one fifty eight, and basically justifies that criticism. Yeah, I mean that's what's happened to the White Sox before, so that's why I, um, I would be a little bit reluctant to go all in all for that. Also, the White Sox don't need homers, <laughs> which is nice to say.
0: Ron, Jim, they always need home runs. <laughs> not... I wouldn't turn it down.
3: Like, but just you yeah. know, when it comes to adding players to get him that's where I'd be like "Mm, mm, no okay like so we talked
0: about Clevenger we talked about Lynn if the White Sox cannot land either of those two it seems that Dylan Bundy of the Angels the Angels are terrible Bundy is the third option here do you like Dylan Bundy and would trading for Dylan Bundy make sense again he would have an arbitration year next season in two thousand twenty one. Uh so the White Sox would have team control, but it's uncertain what that arbitration number would be.
3: He makes sense, like in terms of his production. He's he's been pretty good for the Angels. Might be like the only good thing going for them besides Mike Trout when it comes to just uh expectations and and and, and really benefiting from a, a pleasant surprise, but the the thing I don't like about Bundy is that just like how he's pitching or how he's going about it, and his fastball is down to 90 now, and he's throwing, he, he's he's leaning on it less and less, throwing a slider more. Slider looks like a really good pitch. The changeup is playing up, which I like seeing from a, a pitcher the White Sox are thinking about acquiring because they seem to know how to refine, develop, and use and call changeups. That's something I like. When it comes to sliders, it's like or or counting on a pitcher improving a slider. That's where I feel like the White Sox really don't have an edge. So if you know Bundy comes with a slider that's you know he's leaning on effectively and the changeup's improving, then I kind of like that profile. Just the velocity scares me a little bit, but if the White Sox could acquire him for somebody like Jonathan Stever, uh, that might be a case where that feels doable.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Okay. Or the kind of like pitching depth where it benefits the Angels, but also like the White Sox could make up for that depth. Like as soon as some of their high schoolers start shaping up. So those are the three starting pitchers.
0: Again, I, I feel like I'm Lance Lynn or bust. If the white Sox cannot acquire Lance Lynn, then go with what you got. Fingers crossed. If it is just Jonathan Stever to get Dylan Bundy, then I could be persuaded in that arena as well. Jim, now for relievers, are there any relievers that you see out there or that you've been thinking about would be good targets for the White Sox?
3: Not really. I mean, none are, just relievers are so random that, you know, I was looking at the list of potential acquisitions and none were really grabbing me. There's one for me and uh, it's about, they're due for a
0: trade and that's the Brewers and the White Sox. Uh, David Phelps, he's a free agent after this year. So this is like a pure month rental. Mm. But that was the one that came, came to mind and knowing some people as far as around the brewers and the Milwaukee media market. It sounds like the brewers are, they're in a tough spot right now. They they're not certain if they're going to be able to make the postseason in the national league. They're not certain if they could win the national league central at this given moment with the trade deadline. So they may be willing to move David Phelps because he, again, he's a free agent after this season uh, and, and the white Sox, Again, the White Sox and Brewers have made so many trades in the last few years that it just seems like it's the White Sox's turn to take on a reliever uh, for a rental period. So that's the only one that I could think of that, if the White Sox did acquire David Phelps from the Milwaukee Brewers, really on the cheap, would not be anyone significant. Uh, then having Phelps into the bullpen would would help as far as that bridge concern that we talked about earlier in the show to Alex Colomy, but that's the only one that I could think of because Michael Givens of the Baltimore Orioles, he got traded to Colorado. That was a bit of a surprise. Uh, and, uh, Trevor Rosenthal again, got traded to San Diego. So those were the, the big relievers and there's a lot of Josh Hader talk, but I don't see the Brewers moving Josh Hader at this stage.
3: Yeah, I think when it comes to relievers, you know, I wrote about this a little bit uh, Sunday morning when just assessing what the trade rumors were for both, well, mainly starters, but also, like, wondering about the bullpen. And it's just, uh, when it comes to the White Sox and and what they lack, it's just, like, a really good swinging strike guy. Like, a really good, like, fastball slider guy. It's not the best... um, or it's not always the most valuable uh, metric to use just because like Edwin Diaz is up there for swinging strikes among relievers and nobody's really a huge fan of him. But uh, you know, Phelps is good and I don't mind that idea. you uh, he would help add depth, especially uh, you know, should the white Sox. Uh, I guess it depends on how they feel about Cody Hoyer. He hasn't pitched in a couple days. I wonder if like, that's for a reason like that he's not being pitched because he could be dangled in a trade uh, for somebody better. Um and and with the way his uh pitching mechanics remind me of Nate Jones, I don't really dislike the idea of trading Hoyer as uh, promising as he might be. That's one case where it just I feel like I'm looking in the future a little bit, uh, and, and and knowing what might be lying down the line. But it just takes like a big fastball slider guy, and the I, I, and the White Sox really just don't have that. And I, I'm not I'm not seeing that kind of guy available for a price that'd be reasonable to pay given how much, you know, how volatile relievers are and just how much it might not make sense to uh, acquire in a postseason where eight teams make it. Well, the trade deadline is far more
0: active than I thought it was going to be, Jim. Yeah. Are you surprised on how active it is?
3: Yeah. Especially since, you know, just how big the postseason is and how, uh, how defined the postseason seems to be like, it's not like, uh, a huge like morass of teams between like the fourth spot and the 11th spot to where it could all sort itself out. It really seems like in, in both leagues that's uh, only maybe two spots are in question. Right. And I think what's changed as far as this market is again, you have
0: a team like the Padres pushing the chips into the middle of the table and raising the ante so they could challenge the Dodgers because that's what every team in the national league is going to have to overcome. The White Sox don't have a strong team like that in the American league for them to contend with. Uh, But we'll find out soon what the White Sox do if they do make any moves. Uh, According to our Twitter poll, again, a lot of you, 54% out of more than a thousand votes said the White Sox do not have to make a trade before the deadline. Uh, We'll see if the White Sox do make any deals outside of their Gerard Dyson, which came in handy as he strolled from second base on a, Luis Roberts walk off home run. So he's got a run scored for the White Sox uh, <laughs> in his tenure. Uh, we'll see what the White Sox do. If there is a major trade acquisition, we could have an emergency Sox Machine podcast to recap the big move on Monday. So stay tuned. Again, follow us on Twitter at Sox Machine and also read the work that Jim is going to be doing on Monday at SoxMachine.com. Okay. We're going to pause trade talk excitement for a little bit. Let's talk some more about the White Sox recent run of success with our best friend of the show, Dan Zaborski of Fangraphs.com, next on the Sox Machine Podcast. Your business
4: may be small, but you've got big goals. Brother Laser Printers can help you succeed, no matter the space, task, or budget. From crisp black and white to vivid full color, our printers offer affordable quality you can trust. Plus, fast printing and high page yields make them ideal for home offices and shared workspaces. It's no wonder Brother is the number one retail brand in laser printer unit sales in the U.S. With Brother at your side, go from small to do it all. Shop now at brother-usa.com laser.
1: Introducing Guinness Nitro Cold Brew Coffee Beer. Blending the smooth, creamy, nitro taste of Guinness with hints of coffee, chocolate, and caramel. Guinness Nitro Cold Brew Coffee Beer, your new favorite part of the day. Look for it where Guinness is sold. Must be 21 and over to purchase. Please enjoy responsibly. Diageo Beer Company, New York, New York.
0: The Chicago White Sox have put themselves in terrific position to snap their seven consecutive losing season streak at seven and end their postseason drought since 2008. Sure, it helps that eight teams will make the postseason – But the White Sox are hanging around Cleveland and Minnesota for the American League Central lead. And a lot could change this week when the White Sox visit Minnesota. But with the roster as is, can they shock the league and win the American League Central division? Well, join us to discuss is our best friend of the show from Fangraphs.com. It's Dan Zaborski. And hello, Dan. Thanks for coming on again. Hey, Josh. How's it going today? It's going well. In honor of your appearance on the show, I order tacos for for lunch. Uh,
2: Yeah, I saw. And and my fists, my fists, ball in impotent rage. Why? Taco Bell. It's not Taco Bell. Oh, it's not Taco Bell. Okay. No. I assumed it was Taco Bell. No. Okay. Okay. Good. Good. No. (laughs)
0: I <laughs> know I would not do that. I mean, if I'm gonna have tacos and talk to Dan at the same time, yeah, that's
2: that's 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 how I, I was slightly upset by the by the whole thing. Yeah, I'm gonna get him from I, I, a I,
0: local taqueria. So
2: yeah, okay. So you're on the so were you eating good tacos all this time and just messing with me? Yes. Oh, you bastard! <laughs> but I am but I, but I am happy that you're eating good tacos.
0: You know, I gotta say, the the best taco city that I have been to is San Diego. You're very close to the border. I like fish tacos. It, it doesn't get any better than San Diego when it comes to fish tacos, but Chicago is a really underrated taco city. Like you can get some really good Mexican food in Chicago, and that really surprises people. Uh, especially on the South Side, you can get some really good stuff.
2: Yeah, I, I, I've been to, uh, to Rick Bayless's place, so I've I've had the upscale stuff too. Yeah. But I, I, it
0: does get me wondering though. When Dan Zaborski orders tacos, what kind does he order?
2: I, I like I like chorizo, uh, mm, I like al too. pastor. I I'm too much of a, I, I I've, I've had tongue, but I just can't get over it psychologically. So it's not among my favorites. Yeah, I, I I'm not as big on fish tacos. Um, and uh, but I I you there are a lot of tacos I will eat. So yeah. so this so that's. I'm not too picky, but I do love a good chorizo, ta- chorizo taco, uh, or al pastor. I, 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 I just I think it's a very good use of pineapple. It is, and pineapple's starting to grow on me. I don't like it on pizza still. Well, yeah, but... pineapple's interesting because you can like put pineapple like on a grill. Yeah, like and it, it, it's 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 freaking amazing when when you eat the pineapple. Right.
0: It's just it, the 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 cheese and the tomato sauce. It just doesn't work for me. So, for the Canadian yeah. ham and pineapple pizza, folks. I'm sorry. I just can't do it. I can't do it. But that concludes our food conversation on this edition of the Sox Machine <laughs> oh, yeah, Podcast. Baseball. So, yeah, let's talk some baseball. So the 2020 Chicago White Sox. Let, let's start easy. What are your thoughts about this squad after the first half of the shortened season, Dan?
2: Well, it's it's going really well. I don't think you can complain about their record. Uh, I, I don't think there's enough game. They couldn't lose, like. Five games between the time we record this and the time it goes on air, but I mean there have been some setbacks. You no, know, Michael Kopech, uh, Carlos Rodon. I mean, Edwin Encarnacion isn't hitting, but the team is pretty much rocking. I mean, Jose Abreu has, has you know hit as well as he hasn't since his rookie year. Uh, he's he's making the the contract extension look a lot better than it did when he signed it. Uh, I mean, Anderson still babbling a ton. You you. Uh, Jimenez is, is 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 on a roll. Uh, uh, Louis Ro- Louis Robert, I keep wanting to say Robert because it just feels right. Uh, <laughs> he's having a solid rookie season and doing what people hoped of him. Uh, and, you know, Moncada has struggled at times, but he's still been really good this year. Uh, and uh, I hope people remember the reference. But <laughs> No, I'll just say Danny Mendick. I was going to say <laughs> Danny Medwick, but they I already got get... it. <laughs> yeah, but someone might not get it and say, Ed Borski, he doesn't watch the Red Sox or White Sox. <laughs> I don't know why I'm doing this voice. It's, it's really because I can't do a Chicago accent. It's everything just kind of comes out so vaguely Southern disreputableness. Uh, but that's, <laughs> that, that's 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 all I can do. It's sad.
0: Well, you you mentioned as far as all those hitters, and you tweeted out on Friday looking at teams' war with their top three hitters. And then compared to the rest of the roster, typically when you have done these lists, the White Sox are usually towards the bottom of the list with a stars and scrubs model, especially during the rebuild. But now, Dan, the White Sox have the highest positive difference in all of baseball between the top three hitter
2: war and total hitter war. How did that happen? Well, you, 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 you looked at their acquisitions they've, they've accumulated talent. Uh, I mean, James McCann is a, you know, a reasonable secondary role player. You, he's someone who can catch, you know, for a few months without you regretting it. Uh, Danny Mendick isn't the future at the position, but he, he could be a super sub. Um, I don't know if he's gonna be like Ben Zobrist quality, but he's shown a lot this year. Uh, uh, Jimenez is having a better year. Anderson's keeping it up. Uh, and even you know Adam Engel, of of all people, has been major leaguey. I'm not really sure that's going to keep up. But the White Sox have gotten contributions like from a a long base. Uh, so it, it, it is. Uh, sorry, I just looked at the taco you got. And it looks amazing. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> is, that, is that a Shereza, is that a chorizo taco? It or... is a chorizo taco. Okay, I, I it looks like it. Yeah. Okay. And you just did the the onion and cilantro, so yep. I I I now I now forgive all the bad things I've said about you and your tacos. <laughs> I still get Taco
0: Bell. I'm sorry, it's a it's a crutch, but I still
2: get it. Oh. Yeah, I, I was I was picturing some you know Doritos Loco <laughs> with chimichangos sauce or some weird word that they made up, <laughs> or like Taco Town. Did you ever see the Taco Town SNL commercial? No. Oh, I, I will. Uh, I guess we can't. It doesn't really work on the air, but I'm actually going to send you the link so you can watch it because it's really, right. really good. I'll watch. And people who are listening, you you can look it up. Just look up Taco Town, SNL, and you will find that. So again, very taco heavy.
0: <laughs> Back
2: to baseball. Oh, baseball. That's... <laughs> Sorry, I I was just checking my 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 Twitter because I did that obsessively. We all do. Uh. <laughs> it's 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 a yeah when my internet was down because i I don't like doing yard work and I have a big yard with a hill and a billion trees and uh so the landscaper was doing some work in the back, you know, cleaning up leftover weeds and stuff that I hadn't figured uh and he was digging out like an old stump and all of a sudden my my cable and my internet go out instantly and i and I like run to the backyard like did could you did did you Cut through the cable line, and the landscape looks. At me like, uh, maybe. I'm like, no. <laughs> and I, 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 I don't know how I did. I mean, I didn't have internet when I was a kid. I had, you know, it was it was the early '80s. I had BBS in the late '80s. I don't know how I live without internet. When I, I compulsively checked the, my email and my tweets. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I guess this year, if you're a White Sox fan, this is a good year to follow those yes. tweets. That that was my bad attempt to segue back into the randomness I had descended into. Well,
0: you know, back to the White Sox offense. So they had their struggles early in the season with runners in scoring position. And it seems they have gotten that issue corrected on being less aggressive. And they're focusing more on pitches they can drive, especially the quotes that we're getting from White Sox hitting coach Frank Manichino. But the amount of home runs this ball club is hitting is really eye-opening, Dan. And they're not the only ball club. San Diego is in a similar boat. That team hits a lot of home runs as well. With teams that are very home run heavy offensively, is that a concern as we approach the postseason when assuming they would be facing better pitchers who do a really good job of preventing home runs being hit?
2: Uh, it's it's. It's actually, I mean, not to be too too obnoxiously contradictory. It's actually the opposite. Huh. You'll see a lot more pictures that are excellent getting in trouble with home runs because home runs are kind of a volatile thing for a picture, uh, as opposed to walks and strikeouts. Uh, the hitter is the primary determinant; uh, ha- has a larger effect on whether a bat an at bat will be. A, a home run than the picture does. Now there's obviously some control, but for pictures, it's, it's kind of the two true outcomes more than the three true outcomes. Uh, I of course point to uh, Justin Verlander who won the Cy Young award last year and allowed 36 home runs. Now, obviously on a general level, bad pictures will allow more home runs, but they also allow a lot more of everything mm-hmm. that's bad. Uh, so I, I, I wouldn't worry about the Padres or the White Sox against good pictures, uh, because one of the thing is for hitters I mean it's against the kind of stereotype, but home run teams are actually more consistent because the ability to hit home runs for a hitter is not as up to you know, the, the location that balls are hit or the vagaries of the opposing defense the way you know, a singles are. Singles teams are actually more volatile because they're more batting average on balls and play reliant. Uh, so, home run teams tend to be slightly more consistent than teams that score the same number of runs but get it more from other places.
0: Is Luis Robert living up to expectations according to Zips after his first 30 games?
2: Absolutely. I he's actually beating his projection uh, by a bit. Uh, he's on pace, I think, for like a, if if we had a full season. He's on pace for, what, six wins or something? I'm actually pulling it up because I I know his base numbers, but I don't have his war by heart. Yeah, because he's a 1.2 in in 29 games. So if he had 150 games at that, that would be a six-war season, which is safely above what what Zips projected. Now, Zips, of course, was was very optimistic about Robert. Even if it only had him at 2.5 as a midpoint, it had a 10% chance of him being over, like, five-war for the season. So it wasn't – it isn't that crazy to think of him as a six-war player. Uh, Someone once asked me what his ceiling could be, and I said, like, his ceiling is really, really high. Uh, Think, you know, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. as a Gold Glove center fielder. Now, that's not the average outcome, but I don't think anybody who likes the White Sox would complain if that happened.
0: No, and you know what he's kind of reminding me of? And I was young when he played, and it's mostly just based on looking in the past and watching highlights or watching old broadcasts. But Eric Davis of the Cincinnati Reds, I I, kind of get that type of feeling with Robert where, yeah, he could just surprise you and easily have a 30 home run, 30 stolen base type of season while playing gold glove defense in center field. As Lana said he stays healthy. I mean, is that a fair comp, or do you think it could even be? Because Vlad Guerrero, center fielder, ended up being a Hall of Famer. I mean, those that's
2: that's a pretty high ceiling. Yeah, that's that's a very high ceiling. Uh, I I think that that level of talent is there. I'd probably say Eric Davis at his best before the injuries was faster than Robert. I think speed was even more a part of Davis's game. Uh, but I, which
0: is crazy because Robert is yeah, very fast. Yeah, but
2: Eric Davis uh, was ridiculous. I I I I I don't know how to com- how to express it but Eric Davis would probably be if not the fastest certainly one of the fastest players in baseball. I mean, he could run just incredibly fast. I keep saying fast, but but I mean, a lot of people remember him had that mental image of him after all the injuries when he was just like a really good DH uh mm-hmm. and it it's it's hard for you don't see that very often. A speed player adjusting well to being a DH because you know they're not fast anymore at that point. Uh, but Davis did it. But I I, I don't think it's you. Know, I don't think it's the craziest comparison. I'm just I'm just I'm just I'm just quibbling a little as I tend to do.
0: <laughs> well, let's go from something that's really positive to something that's not been positive. Let's talk about Nomar Mazara. <laughs> we, we've watched him for a bit. And you have picked Mazzara in the past to have breakout seasons.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I I gave that up. I I will never predict a breakout no matter how much I think he will.
0: (laughs) He's currently swinging like Luis Castillo of the old Marlins and Twins days back in the early 2000s with his uh, 40-foot infield singles and bloop singles to uh, left center field. What am I missing here, Dan? Because I can't tell what pitches Mazzara can drive. And it appears the white Sox are not even getting the same number Mazzara that the Texas Rangers had the last four
2: seasons. Uh, it, it feels like his, his plate discipline has somehow gotten even worse. I mean, he wasn't like notably bad, but there's just, he had this odd tendency to just hit pitches that weren't really going to do anything. Uh, I I think that you know from a scouting standpoint, you see Mazzara, and when he's at his best, and when he really connects with a good pitch that that he can turn on, I mean, he can crush it a long way. He's a guy that looks and acts like someone who should be hitting, you know, thirty-five home runs a year. Uh, but if you look at his plate discipline stats, he swings at a lot of bad pitches, and this year it's been even more troubling because he's swinging at a lot more bad pitches than the average player. And yeah, that, that could be a style thing. Uh, uh, Robert does too. But he's actually hitting, swinging at fewer good pitches in the zone than the average hitter. So he's not only swinging more. It's not just aggressiveness. It's the wrong kind of aggressiveness. And I think that that's a problem. I don't know if you can fix that at this point. Uh, he's been in the league for, you know, five years. Uh, well, fifth year. I I I'm still hopeful. I mean, he's not that old yet. He's 25. That's not 30, but it's also not 21 or 22. So it gets a little harder to just wait for him to come around. Uh and I think that with the White Sox in serious playoff contention, if they decide they have better options, they they can't wait around for him. Well,
0: you got White Sox fans that want Adam Engel to get to start every day in right field, Dan. That's how bad
2: it is. Yeah, that 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 is a good example, when when because Engel, I mean, you don't really expect a lot from him, but he's actually hitting more than Mazzara has in his in his brief time, uh, and I think that at the deadline, uh, I I I don't think the White Sox are necessarily going to do anything major. I don't think most of the teams are, simply because the playoff format this year doesn't favor making a huge splash, uh. I, I I do think they could add kind of you know another fourth outfielder type bat that could uh, hit a bit and, and and provide depth down the stretch.
0: And that's not Jarred Dyson who they just acquired from Pittsburgh.
2: I, I like Dyson. I mean, he's he's obviously not the player he was in his prime. In his prime, he was I mean a legitimate starting center fielder, and he was a, a tremendous defensive player. I think right he is. They have him on the team now. I think he's more of a role player type. He he plays some good defense. You can put him in the outfield to protect the lead uh, late in the game if if, if you want to you know sit down Jimenez. Uh, he he he's good at that. He can you know, he can steal a base or two still. Uh, I don't think that he's going to provide you know a huge amount of offense or anything. Uh, but I can I can see especially in a season where we have you know the extra inning wiffle ball ghost runner thing going. I can see a lot of value in having a guy like Dyson. And when you have a larger roster, which I like, I want baseball to stay with 30-man rosters uh, with picture limitations because I like what what teams have been doing uh, uh, with those extra spots because it's it's cool to actually see situational players on the roster again uh, because the, the bullpens have gotten so large that, you know, it's not very interesting from a offensive standpoint because, you know, you have the starting lineup, then you have the guy who can play shortstop, the guy who's this backup catcher, and the guy who can fake center field, and then some injured veteran that the Rockies wanted to sign. That's that's basically what benches look like in 2018, 2019. So I, I, I do like guys like Dyson. That's a long sentence I just said.
0: <laughs> How would you react if Tim Anderson wins the American
2: League batting title again? Oh, I, I think that's great. And you know, the... Uh, even even if we know that batting average isn't the best way to evaluate players, it's still fun to see a high batting average guy. Uh, not everything that is fun has to necessarily be you know, brute efficiency towards winning games, and of course with his OPS over a thousand, there's a lot of brute efficiency at winning games that he's causing uh, uh, so far this year. Uh, and you know, the, the the more he has these crazy batting averages on balls in play, the more likely it is that that, you know, our expectation which is keep rising, that's that's the thing about it. Uh, when when you only do something like that for a year or so, it, you it's it, you, you're more skeptical than if a player is doing it for two, three, four years. Uh, I know Zips has moved up like twenty points in the expectation for his Babbit based on this season. So he he could simply be just one of those guys who can put a crazy high Babbit out, out there. I don't think it's going to be four hundred, but he could be a three sixty guy, and there's not a lot of those.
0: So let's move over to the pitching side. Are you surprised at how well Dallas Keuchel has been throwing for the White Sox? Uh, mm, at, at times.
2: Uh, I, 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 I think he's probably a little over his head, but I, I was a fan of the Keuchel signing because he is a guy that can keep the ball in the park, which is, which is important at guaranteed rate field. Uh, Sorry, I can't get over that name. It drives me nuts. It, Yeah, it, it's, it's, it's not a great name. This, I mean, The Cell was such a better name, even though it was also a sponsored thing. But anyway, I I, I digress. Uh, I think this is kind of like, you know, the peak of what you expect from Keiko. But I liked the signing. I thought it was a really good one, and I thought he was a good fit for the team. Uh, even if he won't quite be this good, I, I don't think there's anything to complain about.
0: And we are recording this prior to Dylan Cease's start against Kansas City. So if he strikes out 15 batters, ignore this question. Uh, But Cease hasn't struck out more than five batters in his start prior to this weekend, Dan. His strikeout percentage is 9% lower than last year. His FIP is 5.96 before facing the Royals, but his season ERA is 3.13. So there's a contingent of Sox fans who are saying that Cease is having a good 2020
2: season. Is he having a good season, or is Cease getting lucky? I, I think there's some, some concerns there, but I'm not that upset long-term. He's still adjusting to the majors, more or less. Uh, he had, like, what, a dozen starts last year with some mixed results. Uh, he, he, he advanced pretty quickly through the minors. And in a season like this, I, I can't really prove it, but I think it's harder for a pitcher without a lot of major league experience Adjusting to such an odd off season, uh, uh, such as this, than say a veteran who who is is in all their pitches. Uh, I I think he's overperforming in the sense that he's pitched worse than his ERA suggests. But I expect his actual pitching to improve, even if his ERA rises. If that makes sense, I I, I don't think he's a six strikeout per nine guy long term. Uh, I think that the nine is closer to what he'll be at, not six uh so i'm optimistic even though i don't think he has really been all that good this year
0: and then the pitcher who just threw a no hitter lucas giolito if Gilito! Se- if if the season ended today would giolito be in your top three for american league scion uh
2: if the season ended today he would be uh he'd be one or two i think i'd give it to bieber Sorry. No, that's uh, – he's that's been late. awesome. But Bieber, <laughs> yeah, Bieber's been, Bieber's been crazy. Uh, but it, it was funny uh, because Giolito got off to a, a, a rough start, and there were people saying, you know, was that a fluke? Why is Zip so high on him? And it's like, oh, well, he's already, he's, he's already turned it around uh, and is below his Zip's projection now. Uh, in ERA, And you know, some people will will say, "Oh, well, he did against the Pirates and the Tigers." But you know, everybody gets to face the Pirates and the Tigers. It's it every pitcher gets to do that, like in in the Central. So it's not unfair that he gets a game against the pitchers or the Pirates and the Tigers, because uh, you know that's what good pitchers do—they mow down the saddest teams around.
0: Yeah, Shane Bieber will get that opportunity in a couple of weeks here when Cleveland gets their opportunities to face Detroit and Kansas City again. And then finally, before we let you go, where teams stand now, where do you see the White Sox finishing in the American League Central when this season completes?
2: That's a tough now. I think it's a legitimate three-way battle. I still think you know, on a fundamental level that the White Sox are primarily just like a little slice behind the Twins and Indians. Especially the twins. But it's not it's we're we're talking like a few percentage points either way. Uh I think they're gonna be in a strong position for the playoffs because I, I'm pretty sure they're they are going to either make it as a second place team or make it as one of the wild cards. Uh I think that the I mean they're what, they're the fourth best record I think in the AL as we talk. Fifth, fourth, somewhere around there. Yeah. They're in the top five. Yeah, it's a good team, and I think they're more on the rise than the Indians. I think they'll pass the Indians and in, in talent once we talk about like another. Like, ask me in early 2021. I, I expect that they'll be the equal of the Twins and better than the Indians. But they're, you know, it's still a team that's in progress of of forming. All right, so you have them at third. Yeah, see, see, that sounds way meaner. I was trying not to sound mean. You know, because <laughs> when I am being mean about something, I try to be explicitly mean. Like, people have seen things I've said about the Rockies. Uh, but, I mean, I like the White Sox a lot. No, it's I, I don't think there's anything wrong with that.
0: They would be the seventh seed, probably facing the Rays or the Athletics at this stage uh, in the first round in a three-game series. No, there's... There's nothing wrong with that. I, I think they could overtake Cleveland. I, I, I'm i just hoping that it's a tight race all the way to the end. Yeah. And uh, I think, think that would be very satisfying.
2: Yeah, I think White Sox fans would probably prefer, you know, they have like a five-game lead in the, in the final week or something. Uh, but as a baseball writer, I want like, you know, every playoff spot to be up for grabs in the last week of the season. I'm on, you know, team entropy. I want, you know, seven-way ties for a spot that MLB has no idea what to do with. Well, you may get that with the eighth seed in the American League. But at this
0: stage, I feel pretty confident that the White Sox will make the postseason in 2020 after the first half of the season, as they're uh, according to fan graphs, their the the projectability as far as them making the postseason, the playoff odds, is hovering around like ninety-eight percent right now. So you gotta feel really good. About The White Sox chances of making the postseason in 2020, but you could follow Dan at D Zaborski on Twitter, read his excellent work on Fangraphs.com. He also hosts a weekly chat on Thursdays during lunchtime on Fangraphs where you could pepper him with questions about baseball, philosophy, chili recipes, and the meaning of life. And Dan, as always, it's a pleasure to have you back onto the show. And uh, next time we chat, we might be talking about the White Sox postseason chances.
2: That, that would be fun, Josh. Uh, and as usual, thanks for having me on. And thank you, listeners, for listening to my meandering rambling about things. <laughs> I like to think that's my charm, but a lot of people don't find it that charming.
0: Oh, I do, Dan. That's why we bring you back. But, oh, see, I appreciate <laughs> it. You're welcome. Thanks again, Dan. And coming up next on the Sox Machine Podcast, let's preview this very critical series as the Chicago White Sox make their first trip to Minneapolis in 2020 to face the twins this week.
4: When your entire life is online, you need more than just speed from your internet. Xfinity gives you reliable in-home Wi-Fi coverage plus protection from Wi-Fi network threats. Check out our amazing offers on Xfinity Internet. You'll get fast speed and Wi-Fi coverage you can count on. Plus, get advanced security free with the XFi Gateway so you can keep the connected devices in your home protected from network threats. Just log in and activate through the Xfinity app. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today to learn more. Restrictions apply. When you rely on the Internet for everything... You need speed that can handle anything. Xfinity delivers Wi-Fi speed faster than a gig. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today. Restrictions apply. Gig Wi-Fi requires gig speed and compatible X-Fi gateway. Actual speeds vary, not guaranteed.
0: Welcome back to the Sox Machine Podcast, and big thanks to Dan Zaborski for joining us. Now let's preview the upcoming series against the Minnesota Twins. The Twins have the season series lead. They won two out of three on the opening day weekend against the White Sox. But again, the Minnesota Twins have lost 5 straight games. They are 20-15 and and currently in 3rd place in the American League Central. Offensively, and this is a surprise, the team OPS is 22nd in Major League Baseball. But they are ninth in home runs. They've hit 48 as a squad. The White Sox lead the American League with 64 home runs. And the Twins are the most dangerous offense in the American League with runners in scoring position. As a team, they hit 292 with a 399 on base percentage and slugging 486 with runners in scoring position. Their problem is getting runners in scoring position. With no runners on base, as a team, they are hitting 231 with a 309 on base percentage and slugging 382. Very drastic difference between how well this team hits with runners in scoring position and without. On the pitching side, doesn't matter if it's the starters or the bullpen. They've been very good. Eighth in Major League Baseball. The starter ERA is 3.7. The reliever ERA is 3.78. The offensive woes in August. Looking at their game log, the Minnesota Twins have played 28 games in the month. And in only nine of those games have they scored five plus runs. Compared to the White Sox, the White Sox have scored Five-plus runs, 16 of their 27 games in August. But the Twins have been very good on the run prevention side. 21 out of their 28 games played in the month of August. They have allowed four runs or fewer compared to the White Sox, who are 17 out of 27 games. But the, the most surprising thing to me, Jim, again, outside of maybe the offensive woes, the Minnesota Twins are 11-12 and 12 in the American League Central. They have been swept by the Kansas City Royals and the Detroit Tigers, where you have fans that say, yeah, the White Sox are only good because they beat up on the Tigers and Royals. Well, the Twins are not doing that, and that's why they're in third place right now. And I guess where the Twins stand, I'm really surprised that they're, they're having these struggles because I thought they were far and away the best roster and in the best position to win the American League Central in 2020.
3: Yeah, the number that jumps out to me is their OPS against left-handed pitching, 657. Wow. 24th in Major League Baseball. The White Sox have the highest OPS against left-handed pitching, 972. So that is a difference of more than 300 points. Uh (laughs) It's, uh, uh, it's really, you know, Nelson Cruz, um, Marwin Gonzalez, Miguel no, to a lesser extent, Byron Buxton has been good in a small sample though. Homer based like his OBP is still three Oh four against lefty. So beyond that, it's just uh, a mess. And that's where the absence of Josh Donaldson has hurt them. Uh, him only being limited to seven games this year. So, uh, that's one roster move I thought would be, you know, have a whole lot more implications for the central when the white Sox or when the Twins signed Donaldson, because, I'd kind of hope that the White Sox would have gotten him instead, figured out how to make it work. But so far that really hasn't uh, manifested itself as any kind of threat to the Sox.
0: And the probable pitchers on what Jim just mentioned is really key on Monday. Lucas Giolito is making his next start after throwing a no hitter against Pittsburgh. And he is going against Rich Hill. So that left-handed stat that Jim just mentioned, the White Sox, I believe are still undefeated this season when a left-handed starting pitcher uh, has started against them, they're like 10 and eight 0. and zero. Yep. What are they now? Ten and zero. Uh, Ten and zero. Ten and zero. Wow. So you really gotta like the White Sox odds just based on their previous success this year against left-handed starting pitching. And on Tuesday, for the Twins offense, this is not good news. They're facing Dallas Keuchel. Michael Pineda is making his season debut for the Twins, coming off his suspension. Uh, his PED suspension from last season. He's finally eligible to start. So if you're a Twins fan, the first two games of the series don't look really promising for you. And then on Wednesday, it's Ronaldo Lopez for the White Sox against Jose Breos. And as a White Sox fan, I do not feel comfortable about that pitching matchup for mm. the White Sox on Wednesday.
3: Yeah, that would be, uh, you know, it, it's, well, we'll see if Lopez is the starter. You know, who knows what will happen when it comes to trade not acquisitions. True. but. When it comes to, like, the way uh, Rick Renteria can leverage pitchers against the Twins, uh, that's where I wish that Gio Gonzalez were healthy. Just because if they're struggling against anybody, basically, who throws with their left arm, that's the case where you can, you know, just have Lopez go for maybe two winnings or even start Gonzalez. Then maybe back him up with Ross Tetweiler or something. Just uh, have, uh, you know, stack lefties or... Have an opener that gets them uh, with a vulnerable lineup and then they, they come out with the Gonzalez. Just have something where you can leverage these limited pitchers in a way that uh, exploits what's uniquely vulnerable or seemingly vulnerable about this Twins team. I don't know if they have the talent right now to do that, but something to keep in mind for later in September. There is an opportunity in this series for the White Sox to
0: distant, to distant themselves from the Twins. While Minnesota hasn't been firing on all cylinders offensively, Again, they are making it up with run prevention, so I, this is going to be. I think this is going to be a really tough series. And if you were stressed watching the White Sox in the Royals series this weekend, <laughs> I, I think this is going to be even a more tense next three games. Uh, it'll be probably hard to handle because the the circumstances have changed. I, I figured at this stage, the roles would be swapped. The Twins would be in first place, and the White Sox would be in third place. Jim, with the White Sox trying to you know, pull off the impossible and try to make up ground against Minnesota. But with Gilito and Keuchel going Monday and Tuesday, if the White Sox can win those first two games of the series, Jim, they can really separate themselves from Minnesota and start making this a two-team race in the American League Central with Cleveland.
3: Yeah, it kind of brings back 2008 where the White Sox went into Minnesota and they felt like, oh, you know, they have a cushion to where as long as they don't get swept, they'll be still in first place and then they got swept. So so I try not to think about in that regard when it comes to the White Sox playing the Twins in Minnesota. But, uh, yeah, the the series against the the Royals was, uh, well, it was funny because I think it was on Friday. I think it was Friday. Yeah, it was Mark Kerrig of The Athletic. Uh, Talked about how he was a fan of seven inning games and thought baseball should strongly consider it in the future. And, you know, my my reaction as a traditionalist leaning baseball fan is, is to say like, oh, no, that's bad. Like, no, they can. There are a lot of things that need to be tried to be addressed before they get to that point. But then the White Sox and Royals played three games that were all more than three and a half hours long and not in a particularly enjoyable way. <laughs> they weren't that high scoring. Um, it was just uh, kind of a mess of uh, pitchers that couldn't find the strike zone and uh, deep pitch counts and a lot of pitching changes and that wasn't fun. So that that kind of had me in the mindset of like, yeah, seven innings is great. Like <laughs> as long as Rick Renter doesn't have to think about innings six and seven, like keep the first five innings and then go to the eighth and ninth. Uh, that's, an, that's a game I like, but hopefully this series, at least with Giolito and Keuchel going, make me uh, a bit more of a fan of nine full innings this time around.
0: And then after these three games against the Minnesota Twins, the White Sox head to Kansas City for four games. They have a day off on Monday, September 7th, and then they go to Pittsburgh for two games before they have a home stand against Detroit in Minnesota. That's what the White Sox have to look forward to. So this is their tough series in quotation marks. I think it'll be tough again for the White Sox to face the Royals in Kansas City uh, next weekend. So fingers crossed during Labor Day weekend, the White Sox can have more success against the Royals and keep stacking up as far as wins. But now we have to pay attention to on who's on Cleveland's schedule. And uh, let's go Royals because in Cleveland's next 10 games, they've got seven games against the Kansas City Royals. So let's go Royals. Figure it out when those games in Cleveland. Innings. Yes.
3: Yeah, they've been close. I mean, that's the thing that's, I think, you know, following the, the Royals writers I follow is like, they're not bad. I think it's just uh, Adalberto Mondesi is driving them nuts. Oh, yeah. Like, the margin of their games is so slim that uh, these unique pain points are really driving them up a wall. <laughs> I think watching Mondesi on Sunday made me realize why that's the case. Yep. And then uh, Cleveland, out of
0: the the three games, they're against the Milwaukee Brewers. So we'll see where the roster is for the Brewers in that stage and where their head is at. That should be a tough series for Cleveland. But, again, the White Sox have to focus on themselves. They have to have a good series in Minnesota. It's never been easy for them, no matter what the stadium has been. If they can win two out of three here, Jim, you really got to feel good about where the team is as a White Sox fan, especially going into a four game series in Kansas city, followed up with two more games against Pittsburgh. And in those six games, the White Sox could add maybe four more wins. And if you have in the, in these next nine games here, if you can go six and three, and then you're at 27 wins on the season. And if you can get some help from Kansas city, then white, the White Sox, shouldn't be tied for the American League Central League. They should have the sole lead. But if they struggle in Minnesota and they struggle in Kansas City, then I could see them right back in third place again.
3: Well, you know you know the saying that uh, momentum is the next day's starting pitcher? Uh, it it kind of reminds me, or, or it comes to mind, I think, uh, White Sox fan happiness is the next day's starting pitcher.
0: Well, I feel good about Monday and Tuesday. How about that, yeah. Jim? Yep. <laughs> but
3: I think, <laughs> yeah, when I get through a series, like, yeah, and then the schedule eases up. But yeah, if it uh, relies on a starter going six and taking some difficult decisions out of Rick Renteria's hands, uh, then I don't feel so great about the next series. <laughs> but but uh, I think the big picture is required here. And big picture is their 21-13 share of first place. Every team has unique flaws, flaws this year. So when it comes to... Just uh, the talent on the team, I think the talent on the team it might be a bit lopsided in terms of uh, where that talent is and what they produce, but it's, uh, it's sufficient this year. You guys had excellent questions for us this week, so let's answer them next
0: in P.O. Socks.
2: You've stuffed our mailbox all week with questions from your tweets and Facebook posts. Now to cure your curiosity on the White Sox, here is P.O. Socks.
0: Thanks, Rob. And yes, this is our favorite part of the show where you, our fans and listeners, get to ask the questions. It's P.O. Socks. We submitted your questions to us via Twitter by following us on Twitter at Socks Machine and also helping support Socks Machine at our Patreon page at patreon.com slash Socks Machine. And Jim is here to answer your questions. So, Jim, our first question, we're going to grab this one real quick from Twitter. Uh, it comes from one of our Twitter followers, Jeff Carson. And uh, Jeff is asking, what do you think about something like a three-year, $20 million contract extension for James McCann, security for him, and the White Sox continue to keep their great catching depth?
3: I think the money is close-ish. Uh, maybe if McCann goes all the way to the wire with uh, you know the, the line he has, then that number will go up. But when it comes to, you know, if he wants to be the guy, if he wants the playing time, if he wants... Um, just the things every major league wants, which is a a starting job that he won't get buried on the depth chart. Seems like he's better off going somewhere else. I mean, I wouldn't completely throw it out just because I think the impact he's had with the White Sox is unique. And after getting non-tendered by the Tigers of all teams um, and and seeing what's happened to the Tigers afterwards and, and, and seeing the kind of rebirth he's had, it wouldn't be completely out of the question, I think to have um, you know, a unique bond that's, or a bond that's unique enough to, you know, have this uh, two-headed catching tandem and maybe, you will know, make it possible to p- deploy both and, you know, use uh, Grondahl's flexibility as a left-hand bat who draws walks in the first base uh, min slot and the DH spot and everything. So there is a way to make it work that there wouldn't be if Grondahl wasn't so good and, and, and good enough to play other positions, but just strikes me as like, uh, you know, between McCann probably wanting a um, you know, number one job and I think number one jobs will be available and also just the White Sox needing you know having some acute um, needs you know in the starting rotation maybe in the bullpen definitely in right field to where if they're if resources are scarce I probably think they you know having a second catcher like that at that price is probably too big of a luxury they can't afford I think it's worth pursuing though yeah it's worth yeah it's worth uh you know, using that exclusive negotiation period to see where he's at. Right. What, what makes this tricky,
0: Jeff is JT real Muto. If the Phillies cannot resign JT real Muto, and let's say he goes to the Yankees. Then that's where I could see the Phillies signing James McCann and having Joe Girardi, bring in James McCann and be their primary catcher, replacing real Muto. There's a drop off in production. But the way that McCann has been performing these last two seasons, as a Phillies fan, you you have to feel a little bit better as far as that situation. It doesn't make them feel any better in the way that Sixto Sanchez debuted with the Miami Marlins, who was the, the big trade item for the Phillies to acquire JT Real Muto. But that would be the one player to pay attention to to determine uh, James McCann's future. If the Phillies can re-sign... His earning potential. It, yeah, def- yeah, that's true. His earning potential. But if the Phillies can re-sign Real Muto, maybe that helps the White Sox. But that's the that's the one player, yep. Jim. Is that?
3: Yeah, I think the Phillies being off the uh, you know out of his market probably that's the one. Yeah, you know, the team with the deepest pockets or the willingness to spend, and maybe with Real Muto's salary, just the team that's already or, or no matter what is uh, taking a pay cut at right. catcher. Right, but again, Jeff, I think it's worth pursuing. I don't know
0: where James McCann's head is at. I'm sure he doesn't even know at this stage, uh, but we'll see what happens. And it would be very fun to see on how everyone's off-season plans address this situation. Uh, there is something to also add to this. Uh, Clint Cole of Future Sox tweeted out that Zach Collins is not traveling with the White Sox. To Minneapolis. Uh, again, the White Sox have this five-player taxi squad. They have to have at least one catcher, and it sounds like Collins is not going to be that catcher. So maybe something to pay attention to before the trade deadline? Because if the White Sox are willing to move Collins, then even if you lose McCann, they still have to go find another catcher, in my opinion, in the offseason. Maybe on the cheap, but they, still, yeah. they would still have to find someone else if they move Collins. So... Something to pay attention to, Jeff. There's another thing to pay attention to regarding McCann, but thank you so much for your question. Uh, Our next question comes from Michael, who is one of our Patreon supporters. Michael, thank you so much for your support. And Michael's asking, Josh already tweeted his opinion, but are you investing more into Dane Dunning stock than
3: Dylan Cease at this point? I'm not. I'm taking the long approach, uh, the long view when it comes to Dylan Cease's stock. I'm treating it like a like you would your uh, uh, 401k or IRA, like long-term, just maybe check it once a year, to see how it's doing. And ultimately <laughs> it'll win out. <laughs> but, but I think with Dunning, you know, uh, he's been great. Like the, that's no knock on him, but just the velocity drop, first outing, and second outing, uh, made me a little bit nervous. Like that he you know, basically barely touched 92 and worked below that. That's dangerous. Or kind of remind me of a little bit of Jimmy Lambert, whose uh, velocity dropped from his first outing to his second one and then went on the uh, injured list. Didn't sound like there was that concern from the clubhouse. Rick Renteria basically said that Dunning was guaranteed to start his next time through and could be a spot of the rotation if he keeps this up. Especially if he can keep uh, adding to his innings load and his uh, pitch count and and be more of a regular starter. So, you know, that's great. And the White Sox certainly need that kind of development with uh, all the other hits they've taken and, and along with Cease's inconsistency. But just, you know, when you see Cease's stuff working uh, and throwing 98 into the middle innings and having the slider that gets some ugly swings and check swings and everything like that, it's, uh you know, it's too much to deny. I think it's just going to take some time for him to, you know, find his keys in his delivery and you know, maybe not pull off and and keep throwing fastballs into the left-handed batter's box. I think it's really just the mechanical thing he keeps fighting, but a better pitcher's in there. And I think um, I'm going to keep waiting for that pitcher to emerge.
0: Well, you enjoy that. I'm selling some of my stock, not all of my stock in Dylan Cease, but I am selling some of it. Cease has got 60 great stuff. He's got 40 command. Where Dunning has 50 great stuff. But he's got 50-grade command, and that's the difference right now. And and Dunning has back-to-back starts where he struck out seven batters. Cease hasn't struck out more than five batters in any of his starts in 2020. And that's just puzzling to me because you're right, Jim. He's throwing 98-99. He has one of the best sliders in baseball, and he's not racking up the strikeouts and it, I don't know, he's a bit frustrating to watch at this moment. And my concern with Cease is, here we go again. This is 2018 Ronaldo Lopez all over.
3: Yeah, uh, we we got another question in the Patreon uh, box about that. Uh, the, the P.O. Socks asking about, you know, whether um, Cease reminds us of Ronaldo Lopez. And I mentioned that before and saying, yeah, just it's uh, there are a lot of similarities just uh, with Lopez. Lopez doesn't have that slider. No, he doesn't. He doesn't have that, that, that depth that, that get those ugly swings. I think sometimes he throws it with more conviction. Other times, other times he can throw it for strikes and be able to set up fastballs later in the count, and that's useful to some degree. But with Lopez, he's you know, throwing 93-94 instead of 96-98, and I think that makes all the difference with him. You're 100% right when it comes to Lopez, Jim. I guess with, when it
0: comes to Cease, I expect better. Six of his seven starts have been against below average, up to average with the Detroit Tigers as their lineup is a 100-weighted runs-created plus. But he's got six starts against Cleveland, Kansas City, and Detroit, and really mediocre results and really inconsistent. And I just... I just wish he had better results. And part of going back to an earlier conversation early in the show, why I would like the White Sox to trade for Lance Lynn, because I don't trust Dylan Cease in the postseason to be that third starting pitcher. Yeah, it's hard to walk six Royals. It is. And you don't have to. Again, I'm getting frustrated here just even talking about him. But Dylan Cease's next start is going to be against Kansas City again. It'll be his third start this season against the Royals. So hopefully. Uh, We'll see a better outcome. It was just disappointing because he pitched well against the Cubs and then just kind of a clunker and put the White Sox in a bad position in his next start against the Royals, which was was unfortunate. But, Michael, thank you so much for your question. Our next question comes from Ed Casey, and Ed is asking, if you were to expend high-end prospect capital, would you rather do so for a right fielder like Starling Marte or a starting pitcher at the level of Lance
3: Lynn? I think I would go with Lynn. They're both like in similar contract positions in which they're both uh, under team control through next year on really good deals, like on extensions or uh, free agent contracts that looked like they were market price when they signed, but now are below market. Uh, so they're both like adding to the same window and contributing. And I just think when it comes to the White Sox offense and uh, versus the White Sox rotation, I think Lynn can be more useful um, just because there are five starts or five starting spots. They all contribute a similar amount of starts. And so, um, you know, each pitcher is basically given the same weight throughout the season. And Lynn can uh, make a much bigger impact over a position than, like, say, Marte can do, you know, given that the White Sox are hitting home runs now. And they're, yeah, I think Marte is you'd be a plus defender. He's, you know, Hits 300 more or less. You know, the homer power's got up to 20 or so, so he's good. You know the plate discipline is lacking, which I think doesn't help the White Sox in that regard. Right-handed bat as opposed to left-handed bat, so if they have this kind of lopsidedness, doesn't really help balance the lineup. And uh, also, you know, kind of this is I think a more minor point, but a lifelong National Leaguer coming to the American League, we've seen that blow up in the White Sox face before. So just uh, I feel a little less comfortable with him as opposed to Lynn, who's been sturdy in both legs and, and, you know, Cy Young finishes potentially for two years in a row, if he keeps this up and uh, just given who he's upgrading over and just the lack of depth that they can put in uh, the rotation versus what's available theoretically for uh, the outfield in the, either the, the free agent markets and the trade markets. It seems like I think Lynn would be the better upgrade for if high end prospect capital is needed.
0: Well, Ed, thank you so much for your question.
3: Do you have a thought or do you agree, disagree? I know you're, uh, I would assume Lynn just because you're all in on him, but I'd be curious about your thoughts. Well, when it comes to
0: certainly Marte, the White Sox should have just listened to me and read my off season plan on where I had the White Sox trading for Starlin Marte and they wouldn't be in this position. No, I'm, I don't know. Um, <laughs> no, I, I, it would be Lance Lynn. It would be Lance Lynn. If the Diamondbacks want to move Marte in the off season, Maybe you think about it, especially if you don't feel comfortable about Noah Mazzara. If Mazzara never gets on track, but right now, Lance Lynn is the greater concern. You could have Adam Ingle and Noah Mazzara fake it in right field with that platoon for the rest of the season. If everybody else ahead of them in the lineup is hitting, you should be okay. But right now, the bigger concern for the White Sox is the starting rotation. So, if you got to move Michael Kopech, for example, I'd rather move Kopech for Lance Lynn than trade him to Arizona for Starling Marte. That's kind of where I'm at. Sounds good. Our next question comes from Asin Rec. And Asin Rec is asking To what extent might Dylan Ceases command issues be resolved by undergoing the motion and new, uh, neural training adjustments that Lucas
3: Giolito undertook after 2018? I would say to a little extent, because according to James Fegan, at least an uh, article he wrote on the Post, uh, post he wrote on the, the Athletic about the uh, neural training company that uh, Giolito worked with, that Cease has already tried it. Or he, at least he, at the time the article was written, that Cease was beginning to try it, was starting the courses. So, you know, it wouldn't surprise me that Cease either tried it or started to try it or might again try it just because he's very much into meditation uh very much into yoga very much into the mental aspect i think that shows in his placid demeanor on the mound (laughs) that uh, he never you know no matter how it starts going he doesn't never really looks rattled or flustered or anything and i think that's beneficial for him but uh it strikes me as he'd also be the guy who has already tried it because he seemed like he'd be somebody who tries anything and so if it's available to him it's probably already been done and also in that article dylan covey was trying it (laughs) that didn't really uh uh, do much for him so it's i think with giolito it's going to be hard there are there are certain things about him that sound like they're replicable whether it's the neural pathways work or the shortening arm swing and the uh the the velocity belt and just you know, the the various uh i guess um some were buzzwords some were training uh regimens some were uh, just you know, mechanical tweaks that are all recommended and just all fell in the line for him to make this uh, glorious and, uh, well, I wouldn't call it unprecedented, but like a Roy Halladay-type transformation from uh, somebody who looked like the worst pitcher in the league to one of the best. Uh, It's just, I think, going to be the kind of thing where you can't really replicate it kind of like in a way like mark Burley like yeah mark burley didn't throw 88 and he still succeeded why can't you just command you know <laughs> just like that's really hard and I think the same thing with uh, giolino just the way he's done it and also you know reading about um you're reading the comments under that article when thinking that cease had already kind of dabbled with it you know there are a lot of uh, arguments underneath it that said that uh, it's, uh, neural pathway work is quackery and I'm not qualified to say one way or another but it wouldn't surprise me if something like that had a yeah you know, maybe a placebo effect for some, you know, maybe it works for some people, but also is just um, more of something that allows you to overcome um, previous mental blocks, even if it's not necessarily uh, documentable or can be applicable to every other person, you know, maybe it works for something that works for one person, not others. But for Cease, I think it's just more a matter of mechanical keys and just trying to, um, you know, get corrected mid-start, because we see with Giolito too, he can sometimes get off kilter, fall off to the mound more often than he usually does, be a little bit out of whack, overthrow, and then he gets back on track. I think with Cease kind of reminds me of the like a pitching machine and batting cages that vibrates off its base and starts firing fastballs in the left-handed batter's box, and you have to uh, get the uh, amusement park manager to go behind the uh, machine and straighten him out, get him back on track, but (laughs) sometimes uh, that guy's not available that day you just have to give up and you lose your coin so that's that's where i think i'm at with cease where uh he's just not great at making in-start adjustments and i'm not sure why and it seems like uh grandal seemed like he had a way to fix that during spring training and when he was signed the Mm off-season conversations that were had but right now that just seems elusive my only idea right now and i don't
0: know if he would entertain it would to do what Dallas Keuchel is doing and just pitch
3: out of the stretch. Hmm. Yeah. It doesn't seem like he loses much. Maybe he loses a bit of power on his slider, but velocity doesn't really drop from one to the
0: other. It's just the command. Like whatever gets, <laughs> whatever gets him to throw more pitches in the strike zone would be progress. But that that's my only idea at the moment would, would pitching out of the stretch help him not getting so open. That's something that Steve Stone points out in the broadcast, right? Is that Cease gets way open as far as with his chest and his arm just drags, and that's why his fastballs end up in the left-handed batter's box when he's facing a right-handed hitter.
3: Well, I mean, that's kind of like I associate like open with a righty with like missing high and away to lefties, not into lefties, but maybe just you know, but you know, during um, uh, Soxfest you know, the idea of him being overly rotational, I guess it could be both that he does fly open. Then that's why all his pitches tend, or at least all his fastballs tend to be high. Like he has, he struggles hit the lower half of the zone, but you know, maybe also just gets misaligned to where that openness ends up also carrying into the, you know, pulling everything glove side as well. Yeah. I get, I don't know. Maybe this is worth taking a deep dive into
0: as far as watching more video on the way that cease throws. But it, yeah, it just appears that there's something, you're right, Jim, there's something mechanical that's throwing him off. And I don't know as far as additional brain training is going to help him, like it helped with Lucas Giolito as far as thought process, but hopefully Cease figures figure something out. And my only suggestion at this point, and I don't know how valid it would, the results would be is let's say Cease stitched the windup and just pitched out of the stretch and see if that would help things. It's helped for other starting pitchers uh, to calm down as far as their mechanics and be a little bit more consistent as far as throwing the baseball. Uh, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it, w- it would work for Cease. but.
3: It's also his first full season and not even a full season at that. So I think he's he, somebody who, you know, given his, um, you know, Tommy John surgery in the minors and the slow ramp up to regular um, deep starts in the minors that, you know, it just might be on a bit of a slower track. Sounds like someone that is playing the long
0: game when it comes to their stock of a certain player. Yep. (laughs) I do not check it. (laughs) Well, as in rec, thank you so much for your question. And thank you to everyone that submitted questions this week to P.O. Socks, if you have a question or topic that you would like us to tackle in a future episode of the Socks Machine podcast, again follow us on Twitter. We're at Socks Machine, and also help support us at Patreon.com/SocksMachine, uh, where not only do you get more content. So for those that are non-Patreon supporters. There's eight extra minutes with Dan Zaborski that I asked some additional questions that our Patreon supporters will listen to, and our Patreon supporters get an opportunity to ask additional PO Sox questions in which Jim and I answer those. So if you enjoy the podcast and you want more and you want an ad-free version of the podcast, go to patreon.com slash Machine to sign up. The lowest level is $2 a month, uh, which I think is a steal. Uh, And you can sign up there and you get the Patreon version of the show and you get extra content uh, every single week. And also some of our Patreon supporters get some swag. And part of that swag is the coffee mugs. And how are we doing to the inventory with the coffee mugs, Jim?
3: Shipping out a couple more tomorrow, but still have plenty for either uh, purchase on Sox Machines uh, store or through supporting Patreon at the $10 tier. So there you go. And we are also going to have a new item soon that you could purchase to help support us. I would say tomorrow, if you give it the or Monday, if you give it the green light, I'll be sending it to you after the show. Yes, I, I'll just we'll just do it now. We'll, we'll
0: do business on the show. Uh, so we're going to have we have new socks, Machine shirts uh, that you could purchase. I you're going to say rompers. Rompers. Yes, that's going to be the next. That's going to make
3: that's going to make no sense. to people who don't have the Patreon edition, but that's another reason to support <laughs> us. So you can sometimes uh, refer to things that we cite later in the show, but uh, we're not there for the regular version.
0: <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna look up and I'm gonna design a socks machine romper now. If you want to know the inside joke, sign up for the Patreon, and so you can now understand what Jim and I are joking to. The Patreon supporters already are probably laughing at the idea of a socks machine romper. Um, but yeah, we we have a new socks machine shirt, and for some of our Patreon supporters, you have already received them. We are getting great feedback on the shirts uh, on the way that they feel and the way that they look. They'll only be $25 and you can purchase them on SocksMachine.com.
3: Yeah, $25 shipping included. I like to mention that because it's good to say.
0: Yes. So if you're... Want some socks Machine swag? You can go to socksmachine.com and you can buy those new shirts and we'll get them out to you as soon as possible. Uh, we have a little inventory at the moment, but we'll build up that inventory over time. So if we sell out of your size, don't worry. We'll get that shortly back in inventory, back in stock that you can order and purchase a shirt uh, at a later date. But that will do it for this episode of the Socks Machine podcast. A lot to talk about, again, with the trade deadline coming up at 3 p.m. Central Time. uh, If the White Sox do make any significant moves, follow us on Twitter and also read us at SoxMachine.com. And if it is a major trade that the White Sox pull off, uh, we may have an emergency podcast to discuss that big trade for the White Sox. And uh, again, the trade deadline's at 3 o'clock, and the first pitch of the White Sox-Twins game is at 7 o'clock. So Monday's going to be very busy uh, regarding it as far as covering the White Sox. And uh, again, follow us uh, again on Twitter and read us at SoxMachine.com. But again, that will do it for this episode of the Sox Machine podcast. If you just discovered the show, you could listen to us and subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts. And the Sox Machine podcast is a production of SoxMachine.com, your home for all things Chicago White Sox baseball. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening.
4: Your business may be small, but you've got big goals. Brother Laser Printers can help you succeed, no matter the space, task, or budget. From crisp black and white to vivid full color, our printers offer affordable quality you can trust. Plus, fast printing and high page yields make them ideal for home offices and shared workspaces. It's no wonder Brother is the number one retail brand in laser printer unit sales in the U.S. With Brother at your side, go from small to do it all. Shop now at brother-usa.com laser.